Welcome, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to Theory and Theology here on this podcast. We talk about cultures and spirituality and religion and traditions. And today we are going to continue the talk about indigenous groups around the beach cities and South Bay area of Los Angeles. Um... So there's a group of um, people named the Tongva people, T-O-N-G-V-A. There's some debate that, you know, is this the original name or was there another name that these people were called? Um, Like what they called themselves. Um, Sometimes in history that is kind of a different thing so in a, in LA Times a link called Mapping the Tongva Villages of LA's Past there's a cool um oh my gosh so it's a very interactive map I'm finding all of a sudden and it's um gosh I don't know how to use this so when you move on it it changes the names and stuff to different villages so um let me see oh my gosh it's moving sorry so basically um just looking at one area um, called Tovaangar. Now, I have no idea how to actually pronounce these. I'm just giving my American language version of the pronunciations. I haven't looked into the, the linguistics charts about the language and the phonemes and all the uh, various types of details of the Tongva language or languages to see how to accurately pronounce these. I'm just pronouncing them as they're written in the English lettering. Um, So apologies if I'm mispronouncing these. And a lot of these, this is the first time I'm even looking at these words. And so I don't really know how they're pronounced. I've never heard them before in my life. I've never seen them written anywhere at all. Um, In anywhere in Los Angeles. And so it says... Tova Angar, as one word, is the original people of Los Angeles. The Tongva defined their world as Tova Angar. It extended from Palos Verdes to San Bernardino, from Saddleback Mountain to the San Fernando Valley. So that's a huge area. Um, from that South Bay area of Palos Verdes to San Bernardino is about 70-80 miles one way um, I'm not sure how far Saddleback Mountain and San Fernando Valley is but I know San Gabriel and San Fernando in the valley are a little distant from 
the South Bay area. They're not like right nearby. Um, it's about an hour and I'm not even accounting for like traffic. I'm just estimating there. So Tova Angar. Um, so I'm looking at this on a smartphone. I might need to switch to a laptop. But it's cool that they have an interactive map, just it's a little strange to try to navigate it. Um, so it says, from the mountains to the sea, long before the development of Los Angeles with its freeways and suburbs, Southern California was known for its grasslands, estuaries, and oak-covered foothills. I would probably not imagine that. Um, based on the city just covered in complete concrete like there are green spaces but, but you really don't um, it's not very apparent honestly so there's some areas where you're going like coastal from like Orange County area is Genga'a and then going north from there around the Palos Verdes area it's uh Chaalvenga and above that north is Amu Pubit and wow um I'm trying to see, like, where's the area where I would go snowboarding. Okay, so I don't really know how to use this map. My apologies. I'm, like, clicking all over the place. Um, Pimu would be um, Catalina Island. Um... So those are the villages, just some of the villages. It's not all of them. And okay, so it says Wow. Okay, so I okay, so I see now. I have to scroll up and each time I scroll up the map changes with what it's saying in the in the caption. So this next caption, a land of villages. So Tova Angar supported about 5,000 people in nearly 100 villages. Each village was independent and interconnected. Baptismal records from the Spanish, mi Spanish missions collected by the early California Cultural Atlas Project suggest the size of each village, sorry, of each village represented in orange. So it seems like the inland villages of Juyubit and Hotuukga were very large villages compared to most of the other ones. I mean, I know those kind of regions and they're really hot. I don't know. Um, I think it might almost be preferable to live closer to the coast, but I don't I would have assumed that there were more people by the coast. 
but I don't know maybe people had fled as well I really don't know I really don't know I'm just guessing off the top of my head so if you look over on the map near like Naples um, in like Long Beach area by the VA Long Beach uh, and Cal State University Long Beach uh, there's a village uh, just east of the university um, where that village would have been, oh my gosh, is called, it's moving, my gosh, everything's moving, <laughs> sorry, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this, um, dang, how do I get back, okay, Povuunga, so the village Povuunga is East Long Beach was in quotes the place of emergency sorry the place of emergence where the Tongva believed their world and their lives began it is considered a sacred site and a university is built right on top of it hmm so let's see the streets I'm trying to zoom in and see the streets and then like everything changes every single time okay what the heck did I just do okay uh, I don't know who made this for a mobile app but this is a little hard for me to navigate I'm trying to zoom in on the streets I can't really do it too easily but basically north of 2nd street south of the 405 um, just east of Long Beach, right by the water. It's right there. Um, right there east of the university. Um, can't see the street name. But yeah. Povu Nga. So, another area looks at... Actually, this is a really cool site. I'm just a little frustrated with it. Another site it looks at, Mission San Gabriel. So we talked about missions a little bit before. I didn't get all into it. Um, basically, uh, one basic part of the missions were that they were run by Spanish padres, which were, um, you know, Catholic uh, clergy and there's an area Mission San Gabriel so the San Gabriel Mission uh, there's a village right there called Shiva Anga so I'm noticing this Anga 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 I'm wondering if that means like village or something like that because it's coming up a lot in a lot of the villages um, as far as like the names of these places so I'm curious about that. Um, I studied linguistics for quite quite some time, and I kind of get curious about that kind of stuff. But I'm not gonna dive deep into it, or else I'll probably take like another like few days just looking up terminology. But uh, the village Shiva Anga was north of Whittier Narrows, close to the second location of Mission San Gabriel. The original site was 
abandoned after flooding. So this is the second site. Um, the Spanish were the first to encounter the Tongva, whom they called Gabrielinos. Gabrielinos. So you see that word pop up a lot in like websites. There's um, this, uh, if you search the following resources, the Gabrielino dash Tongva. So the website HTTP colon backslash backslash Gabrielino dash Tongva dot com. Um, there's the Gabrielino tribe. That's Gabrielino tribe dot org. There's the Tongva people. That's www.tongvapeople.org. Um, there's also Santa Fe Springs Historical Committee. And just information from the area of La Habra. So, Gabrielinos. So, here's another one. The village Yaanga near downtown Los Angeles is believed to have been the largest of the Tongva villages just west of Los Angeles River. Yaanga now lies beneath the 101 freeway. Um, so north of Yaanga, you see Union Station and right by that uh, 101 freeway and right between Commercial Street and Union Station underneath the 101 freeway is the Yaangva village. Um, this is very informative, very sad, very interesting. Uh, so Pimu, Santa, um, Santa Catalina Island, or Pimu, was valued by the Tongva for its natural resources. It was an important ceremonial center connected to Povuunga. Um, okay. Looking at the San Fernando Valley trying to see this picture wow so looking at the San Fernando Valley on the western edge of Tova Angar the valley was at the crossroads of cultures and languages including Tongva Fer Fernandeño and Chumash so people have probably heard about the Chumash Um, wow. Okay, so, Koru, Koruuv Anga, the village Koruuv Anga in West Los Angeles was the site of a spring that still flows and is maintained by the Gabrielino slash Tongva Springs Foundation. So, where is this? Um, Los Angeles site. West Los Angeles Village. 
I'm trying to look for it on the map. Oh, no. Where was I reading? I lost my place. Koru. I don't see it. It's zooming in on West Los Angeles Veteran Affairs um, Medical Center. On the West LAVA that, like, Wilshire um, crosses into. Um... It doesn't say exactly where on the map. So it says settlement, resettlement, sorry, resettlement between the years of 1769 and 1840. Tova Angar was irrevocably changed. The arrival of the Spanish with disease, invasive species, and livestock appended the ecological balance of the region and forced the Tongva to resettle around the three missions. Okay, so that's about that timeline, that 1769, there that is again. And that's when you start seeing different places, like I mentioned before, the, um, uh, what was it called? Rancho San Pedro, um, around that time period, because the land was given to somebody at that time. Um, there's Topaanga. I'm wondering if that's Topanga. Like Topanga Canyon. Um, oh, yeah. So here, here it comes again. So the echoes of the past. Despite the loss of these villages, place names in Los Angeles to reflect regions the region's heritage. So Topanga, Cahuenga, and Azusa are from Tongva words. Um, and it says Tujunga and Pasoima and Fernandeño and Cucamonga and Serrano. Um, so yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting, like, uh, Azusa, somebody, I I don't know if this was from a movie or a show or something, where they said, like, Azusa is everything from A to Z in the USA, it's like, that's not even what it means, I kind of actually believed that, I was like, oh, that's why they named it that, and like, no, it's not, um, so, and then the last part says, recovering the past. This map of Tova Angar draws upon the work of a number of scholars, including Stephen Hackle, Stephen O'Neill, Nat Zapia, and Janet Zernik, whose early California cultural atlas, a spatial history project funded by the National Endowment for the Humanities and Early California Population Project developed by the Huntington Library are essential resources. Very cool resource. Very well done. Um, very informative. I don't think I would have seen this information otherwise. Um, whole lot of information up in here. Um, 
So I was reading something else about, let's see if these links will work, about this lady, um, she was considered a Tongva medicine woman named Toi Purina. So Toi Purina, um, she basically was a Tongva woman who helped lead rebellions against the Spanish missionaries. Um, they had invaded her homeland and started using force to baptize people into Catholicism and forcing them into um, the missions. And basically, um, her and the rebels got caught because um, they were, you know, were got out to the... Um, to the Spanish that they were going to revolt and unfortunately they weren't able to carry out the rebellion. It says the leaders were were imprisoned and Toy Purina was um, still defiant. They said defiant, but I don't like that word. Um, at her at her trial, I mean she was sticking up for herself. She was defending herself against oppression basically. Um I don't know if I'd call that defiant. That I don't know, whatever. Um, but Toy Purina remained defiant, as they said, um, and gave a speech denouncing the Spanish. She was imprisoned for a year and a half. After her release, she was baptized as a Christian and spent the rest of her life in exile in Northern California near Monterey. Monterey is beautiful, by the way, but it's very cold. Um... It says, uh, there's a quote from her trial on this ACLUNC.org website. Um, The quote from the trial says, I hate the Padres and all of you for living here on my native soil, for trespassing on the land of my forefathers and despoiling our tribal domains. Um, I believe um, her, like uh, Toy Purina, she was kind of, I believe in the story, it mentions that her, the last straw was that, you know, they were, the Tongva people were um, denied from doing their um, ceremonial uh, traditional dances for the burials of their dead. And that kind of was the last straw for her um that would almost be like I mean not even the same thing but that would almost be like if somebody came in and was conquering and like enslaving your people and is just like oh like even though everyone's getting killed of diseases and killed from slavery and killed from just people just killing them and massacred and murdered and genocide and then not even being able to properly bury them I mean come on you know like imagine if somebody said you can no longer have funerals you can't have a funeral service you can't have a memorial service you can't have any kind of recognition of service that you're used to doing in your own tradition even though we're here killing all your people um, and your people are dying primarily because of us. I mean, that's, uh, that is, 
I mean, it's already too far in all honesty, but, um, I mean, come on, you know, um, so, oh, did I just close that? Oh, no, sorry, I closed one of my links, um, I hope this isn't too messy, because I'm kind of, like, um, I'm kind of bopping all over the place here, um, just stuff that was kind of interesting to me that I was able to find easily. And this stuff isn't easy to find, guys. It's not, you know. Um, I mean, there's a little information out there, but you'd think a city as huge as Los Angeles, an area as huge as those regions mentioned um, in Southern California, between or like the north of Orange County all the way to like San Gabriel pretty much or all the way all the way to San Bernardino pretty much that's a large stretch of land it's I don't know how far but I think it's over 100 miles about 100 miles just going north um because from San Diego to um Wrightwood is 100 miles and from you know, the South Bay area to Wrightwood is also 100 miles about. And so, like, yeah, that area is about 100 miles. Um, from Orange County, I think it's a little closer because you're exactly like you're just going north from inland. Um, but, yeah, that's a long distance, guys. And um, so... So, there's some information on the Tongva Ti'at, which is a type of a canoe. Um, it's, you know, there's a big, there's a lot of uh, um, indigenous maritime culture um, information that people can look up. Um, these canoes seem pretty, pretty badass. Like they're pretty big, really solid. Um, I don't really know a lot about like building boats or anything like that, but it seems to me that you know I've seen the other types of canoes that are made of like either reeds or the other types of canoes that are made out of like like a wooden or bone kind of frame structure, and then you know skins kind of stretched over it. I feel like wooden, I mean, they're so heavy and big and you see multiple people carrying it and multiple people inside of it. Um, it's just a lot, you know, there's a lot of uh, history that is brand new to me. You know, places that I that I go and hang around a lot of the time of different times of year that I don't know anything about the history of these people um something more uh present is the talk about or the um conversation surrounding you know um are the tongva recognized federally and um the gabra gabrielino tongva are um, not federally recognized 
and also with students, you know, from tribes that are not uh, federally recognized, um, there is, I, I was just learning about this, that they don't get free tuition, uh, and that's fucked up. I mean, it's just, I don't even know what to do or say, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty speechless. Like I'm trying to like say things, but it's like, yeah, the more I'm like clicking around on stuff, the more I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, it's definitely horrible. Like I know that there's definitely horrible history. I'm not expecting to find like a lot of, like, fun, you know, but also, you know, there's more to people than, like, the canoes and the names of the villages and, you know, like, they have deities and, you know, a creator and, you know, all this kind of history that, you know, I'm still trying to look into that is just very fascinating to me. Um, it's also fascinating to me that a lot of it doesn't just come up easily at a, at a quick Google search. Like the stuff that I mentioned, it it would come up if you searched it, like I mentioned it, but just trying to search like Tongva related things is like really, uh, not as easy as I thought it would be. I thought I would just search, you know, Tongva culture, Tongva history. Well, first I was searching, uh. Rancho San Marcos, sorry, Rancho San Pedro history and wasn't even finding Tongva. Like, Tongva didn't even come up. Um, that came up from just, like, L.A., um, L.A. tribes. And so, yeah, I mean, some things like the, the West L.A. VA and the, you know, Cal State Long Beach, you know, their sites in those areas, you can go check them out. The missions are still there. Um, let's see. Um, and so there's Um, so it says the San Gabriel mission was founded by Spaniards of the Franciscan order of the feast of the birth of Mary, September 8th of 1771. So we're back in the 1770s again in this Los Angeles area in the valley. Um... So, let's see. So, if we look at, like, Tongva. Oh, my gosh. Tongva and San Gabriel. I don't know what's going on here. It's almost like I don't know how to use the internet. Um... So Tongva and San Gabriel. 
mission. So, it says the missionaries had erected the San Gabriel Mission in what is now Los Angeles County and had tried to outlaw native culture and assimilate the Tongva tribe into Catholicism. Toy Purina watched as the mission drained her village and those around it of resources. Many people died from diseases brought by the Spanish. And... Um, there's a question what Indians lived in the San Gabriel mission Um, the mission was uh, so that San Gabriel mission was um, the fourth of the 21 California missions so it was the fourth one so it was early um, known as the pride of the California missions in quotes um, I'm pretty sure not everybody agreed with that title. Um, the Native American population living in the area, um, the Gabrielino Tongva Indians helped to build the mission and remained a key part of the story of that region. That's kind of a weird explanation. Um, that's not what I was looking for. I mean, it does talk about the tribes that lived that went lived went to the mission um there is some mention that you know because of all the death around um a lot of the indigenous groups did end up needing to depend on the missions for you know resources because you know how could they really live and do life the way that they were doing it when there were people trying to destroy it and kill them and everything and displace them and enslave them um i'm not 100 percent sure about like baptism how that really worked i'm gonna assume that people who were baptized had more access to services um i was reading or i was watching or reading a lot about um, you know, how come a lot of people, uh, how come in Los Angeles, there's a very large, um, Mexican culture and it's potentially, um, something to look into that a lot of people who were claiming to be Mexican would say that they were Mexican, would say that they were Catholic, um, because being indigenous, you know, you didn't have as much access to things as you would if you were Mexican. Like Mexicans in society had a, a higher status and were Spanish speaking and were not indigenous. Well, I mean, maybe overall, I don't really want to like generalize, but that's kind of what I gather is that there are likely a lot of people from a lot of different tribes around in in the LA valleys and things like in you know uh San Bernardino and the deserts and the mountains all these different places that there were other uh types of tribes but you know people started identifying as Mexican um i mean just looking at people i mean you can tell kind of the difference um, between people who weren't maybe like, um, you know, 
mingling and um, having children that were like half uh, Spanish, but also the Spanish language. Like when you think of Mexico, you think of Spanish language. You don't think about so much all the indigenous groups and languages. Um, I remember I took a Native American, I think it was called Native American history class uh, when I was in community college. And it was, uh, that's the first time I heard about the Mexicans. It's still spelled like Mexican. Um, I wasn't too sure the difference between Mexicans and Mexicans. I'm pretty sure that some of the Mexicans were Mexicans, like, but not every single person who was labeled as Mexican was actually a Mexican person, um, and then, um, there was this movie I remember I watched way, like, a long time ago with, like, Juan Diego Boto, and it was, uh, called The Dancer Upstairs or something like that, and there was a kid who, um, knew just like a native language I don't remember if they were in South America though I can't remember if they were like in South America or in Mexico or where they were but I remember like oh yeah like it kind of you know jogged my memory about you know indigenous groups and that you know there are a lot of places where there are people who live closer to old ways um, um, and, you know, I'm not sure the relationship of cultures, uh, when it comes to mission, like just, you know, when I read something that says missionaries, you know, the missionaries, um, that word is starting to have a different connotation to it. When I think about uh, um, residential schools or when I think about um, uh, yeah, when I think about residential schools, when I think about you know, the missions, uh, when I think about um, enslavement, I mean, it's another form of enslavement, I mean, we don't call it Native American slavery, or, like, indigenous slavery, like, we focus a lot on black slavery, um, which I'm not saying, like, one's better or worse or whatever, I'm just saying, like, you know, they're slaves, basically, like, in their own land, basically, I mean, like, not everybody lived out in that San Gabriel Valley area. Like, some people would have lived in other places and been stolen and captured and taken out there or forced out there. Um, I mean, it's not the most pleasant of areas with the harsh conditions of weather. Um, I don't feel like the valley is, like, the most ideal place if you're not used to that kind of place. Um... But, yeah, somebody just being forced to work. Um, I mean, is that not slavery? It's slavery. If you're not getting paid for it, it's slavery. Um, being forced to, like, 
become a certain religion or go to a certain institutionalized school that's basically almost like a like it's almost like a jail it's almost like a like a like I kind of see residential schools to almost be similar to like a jail for kids it's like a jail it's like you know, you don't have freedom you can't leave you can't go back home your parents can't contact you you can't contact them there's no like visitation you know you get punished for breaking rules and severe punishment um you're being like forced out of your culture forced into you know western culture against your will um it's almost like a reform like a reform correctional style of uh institution and i'm not saying that i i don't want to say correctional that that kind of like assumes a lot of things too like i don't want it to sound like i i like i believe that people of indigenous cultures and traditions are like needing to like bend to do what western culture um teaches i i don't believe that at all but um i don't really know what terminology to use it's like even hard to even like choose the phrases and terminology that i use because I have to like challenge it because I'm like well that's not really the same thing like when we say correctional usually it's like in a jail system where it's like somebody committed a crime and did something wrong and so they're imprisoned and they're in a correctional place where they're supposed to be you know whatever time they're serving and whatever they're doing is supposed to correct what they're doing so that when they come out they're better trained to live peacefully in society and not infringe on other people's rights I don't really even think that jails and prisons necessarily do that but um I mean western culture has a really hard problem with institutions they don't tend to really cater to actually do what they say that they set out to do um they tend to say okay we're gonna do this you know um like the whole like thing about the institutions and the schools and stuff about like kill the indian um save the save the oh what is it like save the man kill the indian or something i can't remember what it was it was like some stupid phrase that like in as part of the propaganda of everything of like why they were like like kind of like the their kind of main stance on where they were trying to do those institutionalized um schools for the kids i don't really even want to call it school i mean like you're basically just taking away everything um it's not really like a school it's really just you know taking away a culture and re um brainwashing i guess brainwashing forcing into um into being more westernized um i'm going to end with this there's this isn't really related but there's a series that i like it's it's pretty dark um i like it because of just how it portrays you know 
the people who were settling in the U.S. and all that kind of thing. Um, it's called Into the West, and it's a series you can find it free on YouTube. Um, the versions that got copied off of the made-for-TV series, and it's a I don't know how many parts, maybe like a six or eight part series. Um, and it goes all the way from, you know, people in like covered wagons coming across the, from the Wheeler family that were wheelwrights basically in like Virginia that made their way all the way across to like California and, um, you know, all that they encountered and all the all their history of their family and how they were like intermingling with different tribes and marrying and having kids and you know all the whole you know the people who died along the routes and you know the people they were involved in and the racism at that time and some interactions with black people at that time and um um it wasn't all totally prejudiced that's something that I did kind of like seeing is that there were it was a portrayal of Caucasian people where, you know, it wasn't just all prejudiced people. Like some of the people did have a mind to try to understand other cultures and just thinking about how many different cultures people were exposed to. Um, and they were able to kind of uh, navigate that um, some smooth, more smoothly than others. And it ends pretty much... It doesn't end, but it it goes into like a more modern time at at the end of the series. Um, towards the end of the series, it shows like parts about like the residential schools and stuff like that. Like, um, there's another movie. There's a movie called The Education of Little Tree. It's kind of like a more G-rated version of uh, you know a mixed um indigenous kid who was mixed like Cherokee and white and uh he went to a residential school too and was severely punished like it doesn't show like it it shows things you know being like whipped and you know some other shows you know they show like being caged or starved or you know caged up in a basement like who cage kids in a basement You know, kids died of, like, depression and suicide and starvation and being beaten to death and stuff like that. I mean, like, wow, wow. Um, I mean, is that not considered torture? That's torture. You know, there's a a show, a series called Anne with an E. Um, It was was an obnoxious series that I tried to watch during one of my PTOs, and it... um, it just was obnoxious to me because the main character was like crying every episode and I'm like, oh my god, just like get on with the episode. Like she was just a little dramatic, but she befriends a girl, um, I think they're in like Nova Scotia or somewhere in like Canada and she befriends uh, a girl from a from a tribe and you know, she's not very prejudiced to hardly anybody, but you know, she experienced a lot of hardships herself living in an orphanage and all this stuff. And there's a portion where that that kid gets put in a residential school as well, um, and kind of is locked away with like nuns and things, and they don't even let the parents come see or visit. The parents are turned away at like gunpoint, and like, 
um, stuff like that, and, like, you know, the kids, you know, they had to, like, escape, basically, like, it's just stuff that I can't even imagine, and the ones who do survive, like, when you think about the reality of history, right, the ones who do survive all of this trauma and tragedy go on and have kids, and that's a whole other generation of people being raised by people with that kind of trauma, I mean, you know, and not to mention all the trauma that those families went through even before the residential schools were even an option or even like a reality, an unfortunate reality. I don't even want to call it an option. I don't think anybody was like willingly going into it, but, um, thinking about, you know, your, your young kid, five years old, six years old, seven years old, 10 years old, 13 years old, and going into these institutions. And before that, you know, who knows what was happening on your land, with your village, with your tribe, Um, depending what part of the world you're in at that point, you know, there were people coming in, taking your land, killing your people. You know, it wasn't uncommon for military to be involved and just raid people. Like, even if you watch um, uh, The Last Samurai, um, the main character, he has a um, he has a lot of uh, PTSD and nightmares and flashbacks about, uh, and, and it leads to, like, uh, alcohol abuse and you know, he tries to, once he gets captured by the Japanese, you know, you, you see a lot of him, uh, with his flashbacks and how he's, um, like going in, you know, like into his memory about like, you know, being part of the military and being told that he has to, you know, fight under Custer against these different, you know, villages of people and tribes of people. I mean, if you think about, I mean, these were careers of people. They were just killing people, you know, um, at military force. I mean, like, what, what peaceful group of, you know, tribe has a choice if you have military coming to you in force, you know, killing you and, you know, you know, would your city survive if the military decided to rise up against you and start just destroying everybody? I mean, even in modern society, it's like, there's no way that's not, that's not even a fair fight and to be lied about on it, like, oh, just kill them just because they're there, and just say that we're killing them because of this reason that's not even true, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, I don't even know what to say, it's, it's beyond tragic, it's still going on, though, I mean, it's definitely, like, enforced to, you know, rid lands of tribal people, I feel like governments just turn a blind eye. You know, there's really nobody defending these people. Um, There's not like a military defending them. They don't have militaries defending them. They don't have their own militaries. 
um, they're just kind of stuck at the mercy of whatever the laws are, you know, that are destroying their opportunities, destroying their future generations' opportunities. And I'm not saying they're getting weaker and weaker and weaker, um, but I think one of the first steps is just for, you know, us mainstream Americans to even learn about what it is that's happening right in our backyards of where we go, where we hang out, you know, how are these cities even developed? You know, you think a city like Los Angeles, it would be easy to find information like that we would be taught more about this stuff like a person like me who studied multiple cultures multiple language histories who you know was very immersed in the culture in LA with a lot of people went to grad school went to school in San Diego I'm, I, I like being around diverse groups of people and still I have to go out of my way to research stuff to find information about groups of people that you know, named the canyons that I hike in or named the, um, you know, the places where I snowboard, like in Taos and like, you know, I have to go like out of my way to like find the information like about Big Bear Lake and like all these different places that are resorts that are like sacred areas for people, you know, you just hike up to Kuaipei Peak as like a as like an exercise hike and then you know it's actually like a sacred site and like you drive on the 8 freeway in San Diego going east and it's built on top of like sacred trails that lead people to certain places and stuff like that it's like I have to go out of my way to find this information it's like I don't know when does this information become mainstream and I mean it's at a point I feel like where like a lot of it is like why can't we just why can't we just be real now and just like give us the information you know like it's so hidden and you know um and i don't know like there's just so much of it out there too like so many villages so many tribes so many groups languages you know that we've that there's just like hints of like of them, of their existence, there's just hints about it, so, I don't know, something to think on, uh, but for now, I hope this was helpful, and thanks for listening.